If you guys are new, welcome. We are so glad to have you. My name is Byron, and I get the great privilege and honor to lead pastor here at Redemption. All of our guests, thank you so much for joining us. And everybody who's watching online, we are so glad that you join us because today we're gonna be kicking off a brand new sermon series, a, a three-week series that's gonna lead us into Easter, but more than just something that is going to lead us into this next season, I believe that what we are going to discuss today and over the next three weeks, without an exaggeration, has the potential to change our church for the next 20 years into the future. The conversations that you're gonna have as you go home and talk with your husband or wife or maybe with some roommates, other friends that you have or your small group, the conversations that we're gonna be having over the next three weeks undoubtedly have the possibility and the potential to change this church forever. And the title of this series is called Be Bold. How many of y'all are ready to be bold? Here's what the dictionary definition of boldness is. Boldness is the, the willingness to take risk. It is courage, it is conviction, it is living without compromise. It is being able to look fear in the face and then to still step out in faith. Boldness is belief that is born from God that we can accomplish, we can achieve, and we can do things with God that everyone else says is impossible. That's what it means to be bold. How many of you are excited to learn what it takes to be bold? Yeah. You looking forward to being bold? Turn to your neighbor and say, be bold. Be bold. Turn to your other neighbor and say, don't yell at me. <laughs> because you need to be bold. So as we start off this series, I'm gonna just give you a few pictures and, and a couple of stories of boldness looks like. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's gonna be the thought that's gonna guide this series. And the first thought is this, the future belongs to the bold. Nobody ever writes books about people who play it safe. The history doesn't remember the people who live within their comfort zones. No, the future belongs to the bold. Let me just show you some pictures of, of people and their act of boldness that really changes a lot of the way that we live our life and different parts of our American culture. The first picture is this. Does anybody know who this person is? That's Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, he is the, the founder of what a little company you might have heard of. It's called Amazon. Okay, you ever heard of Amazon? Okay, this is the beginning of Amazon. That's Jeff Bezos in his office. Look, you can even see that he has spray painted on the wall, Amazon. That's him boxing and shipping his, his own books. Am uh, Bezos had this crazy idea that he was gonna sell stuff over the internet. Now at the time, people didn't even know what the internet was and they didn't believe that the internet was ever gonna catch on. In fact, there was interviews, you can go online and you can Google uh, interviews and YouTube, uh, people talking about the internet. They're like, this is just a fad. This is never gonna work. Nobody's ever gonna use this. You know, why do you need to, you know, like send an email when you could just call somebody? The internet is never gonna work. That's what people said. But Bezos saw something different. Bezos saw an opportunity that would change the way that we do business, the way that we buy Christmas presents, 
forever. I mean, I am so thankful for, for Amazon. I mean, especially two-day shipping, because I'll buy a book, and I'll forget I even bought it, and then the next day, I'm like, oh, what did I get? It's like Christmas every single day. It's like two days later. I'm like, I don't even remember what I bought. But then, boom, all of a sudden, there it is. All because he had the willingness to do what other people said was impossible. He saw an opportunity when nobody else believed that opportunity was there. This man, he made a bold move to start an internet company in 1994. Now he is the richest man in the world and has the most successful business in the entire world. The, the second picture, everybody know who this person is? I recognize all of the nerds in the room, all right? All the Star Wars nerds, may the force be with you. This is George Lucas. Anybody know what franchise he is responsible for? And don't say Indiana Jones. Star Wars. Did you know that George Lucas actually shopped around the script to every major production company and he was rejected by every single one of them? Nobody wanted to produce a, a science fiction movie in, the, in that time and so he shopped it around and everywhere he went, he was told no, but yet he would still go home and he would craft and he would dream up a world that would serve as a place of imagination for millions of uh, millions of people over the last 40 years. And every single one of those, um, every single one of those movies, minus The Phantom Menace, because that one doesn't count, uh, has Misa Jar Jar Binks. No, that's a terrible movie. But every other one, <laughs> Other than that, has become ingrained within American culture, all because he was willing to step out and he was willing to be bold and he was willing to take a risk. Anybody know who this person is? That's Kurt Warner. Is it? There you go. That's Kurt Warner. Don't ruin the surprise. That's Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner is a Hall of Fame football player, but he was undrafted. He played in arena football, but then he actually went back home and he was stocking groceries for the majority of his career. And later at the end of his life, he got drafted by the St. Louis Rams. And that year they went to the Super Bowl. And now today going from undrafted to being a first round ballot Hall of Fame quarterback in 2017, all because he was willing to, to take a risk. He was willing to be bold. And that boldness has changed not only his life, but it has also inspired young boys to grow up and to play football and it has transformed the game to this day, all because they were willing to take a risk and to be bold. And so I wanna show you what I believe to be the boldest conversation that I ever had, and it's here. When you think about Redemption Church, there. When you think about Redemption Church, when you look around, what you see is you see, you see the worship, you see the music, you see, you see all the people who are serving, you see the, the, the hundreds of people who call Redemption home, you see the packed house as you come in the room. That's what you, you see at Redemption. We're six years old, but the result of what we're experiencing now comes from one bold conversation seven years ago where me and Ashley, we sat on this porch and we talked about what it would look like to plant, to begin to start a life-giving church in the heart of downtown Beaumont. As we sat on this stoop in an old town apartment, it's where me and Ashley moved here, where we moved to Beaumont, we moved into this old town duplex. I mean, this place was small. It was about 400 square feet, didn't have a bedroom, and it didn't have central air or heat. So, you know, I mean, we're in the Southeast Texas summers and man, we were just taking all the clothes off. And uh, in the winters, we just snuggle up real tight under the blankets. Come on, somebody. So, 
So, so that's, where, that's where our church was started. It's just a dream and, and two kids. And we didn't even have any children at this time. For those of you who do know, uh, me and Ashley, we were infertile for the first eight years of marriage. We tried, but without success. We, we were actually saving up for in vitro fertilization. And we're having those conversations before God asked us to, to start a church. And because of the expense that it was gonna take to, cost, uh, to raise the money to be able to plant a church, we decided that we'd put that on hold and we were gonna go all in on planting Redemption Church. And at the very beginning of the church, we had no money, no clue. We had, we, had, we had no people. We had no building. We had no budget. And we didn't really have jobs. In fact, my grandparents were the first people to give to the church. And not only to give to the church, they'd slip us an extra hundred on the side just so we could go ever and, and buy dinner for us because we didn't have any money. All we had was each other and a dream to start Redemption Church. And that's a really hard time for us. It's probably one of the darkest periods of our lives and every night we'd go out and we'd sit right there on that porch and we would ask, is this really what God wants us to do? Is this really the, 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 the direction and the, the, the will for God for our lives? And I remember one night we were sitting on that porch and Ashley looked at me with, with tears in her eyes and she said, I can't do it. I want to quit. I don't want to do this. It's just too much. It's too hard. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And on that night, we almost gave up. We almost just threw in the towel, said, you know what? We're not going to plant a church. I could go get a job somewhere else. I could go be a pastor of an established church, a large church. We could go and we could move to Oklahoma. We could move to Seattle. We could move back to New York. We could do all these different things. We had options that were in front of us, but it looked at the moment that the obstacles that were before us were just too big. Starting a church from scratch. We had no clue what we were doing, but we knew that God had put a dream. And so I looked at Ashley. Here's the bold conversation. I looked at Ashley and I said, listen, I know that it's hard. I know that it's too much. I know that this season is the most difficult season that we've ever been in our life, but baby, would you just commit to doing this with me? Because I don't want to, but I can't do this without you. And it might not work, but it just might work. And we'll never know unless we step out in faith and we do it together. And so that day, me and Ashley, we decided together as a couple that we were gonna start Redemption Church. Amen. That conversation on that porch. And what went from two people sitting on a porch in Old Town has now grown to 400 people in a renovated building in downtown Beaumont, 300 baptism locks on that wall, stories and testimonies of life change. So we're now... Redemption Church, we have gone from two people sitting on a stoop in Old Town to buying an entire block in downtown Beaumont. We just bought our building. And I just have to say through this series, if God can do this from two people sitting on a, uh, sitting on a porch in Old Town, what could God do if 400 of us all have these same conversations and pray and believe God for big things together? This is why I say the, the future belongs to the bold because when I look forward into the future of our church, I do not believe that God has called his church to be renters, but I believe that God has called his church to lay down stakes so that way people know that there is a church here that loves them, that welcomes them, and is not going anywhere. I do not believe that God calls his church to lease. I believe that God has called his church to leave a legacy. I believe that God has bigger and greater and more special and wonderful things in store for our future. The best is yet to come here at Redemption and the future belongs to the bold. Yeah. God has a supernatural grace 
that is at work in our church right now, something that I have never seen in the six years that we've been gathering together, a supernatural move of the Spirit of God in incredible ways. I mean, we have just heard testimony after testimony and stories just in the last three months. We've actually grown by 30% in our attendance in a three-month window period. I mean, Next Steps was 38 people last month. It was so crazy, people just getting involved in the church, so much so that over the last two weeks, we actually had to have two server ones because we had too many people serving at the church. It's amazing to see what God is doing. When most churches are stalled and declined following COVID, majority of churches have still not reached 60%, but yet at Redemption Church, we're nearly 200% increase in growth over the last year. Just so you know, this time last year, the, the attendance number was, we had 121 people this time last year in attendance. Last week, we had 354 people. There are 200 people in our church this year that were not here last year. That is a wave of God's grace. But it's not just in attendance. We already have almost a dozen people sign up for baptisms the week after Easter. That means there are souls that are being saved. We're hearing testimonies of stories where God is renewing and restoring and reconciling marriages. We're hearing testimonies of miracles. In the last three months, we've had three divine healings take place in our church. We had one person who was healed of throat cancer. We had another person who was healed of an incurable bladder disorder that she had and we had another person who they had last all mobility in their shoulder and that small group this Sunday they prayed over him and now he's healed and he is back to work that is God's special favor and grace that is happening here at Redemption Church and if you're new I just want you to say welcome home this is an amazing place God is doing something amazing here and we want for you to be a part of it here's the reason why it's because we believe that God has more in store for us believe that God wants to do more, God can do more, God will do more, and God wants to do more because the best is yet to come, but the future belongs to the bold. And so it's gonna take you and me together as a church, being bold together, having bold conversations, and that's what we're gonna start over the next three weeks here at Redemption. We're gonna cover three topics. First topic we're gonna cover is, is bold prayers. The second week we're gonna cover is what it looks like to live in unity by all being bold together. And then lastly, we're gonna talk about bold generosity. But today, the sermon title is gonna be called Learn How to Pray for Your Church. If you have your Bible, we're gonna pick up in Acts chapter four, starting in verse 23. All three weeks are gonna be centered out of Acts chapter four. I would say that this is probably the most pivotal moment in the history of the church. Today, you look at the church, it is about seven, uh, it's about 3.5 billion people on the planet, every tribe, tongue, nation across the world who all have churches with men and women and children who are worshiping Jesus, gathered together in communities just like ourselves, lifting up the name of Jesus, magnifying him, praising him, and placing their trust and hope and faith in Jesus. We got about 3.5 billion Christians on the planet right now, but 2,000 years ago, there was only a handful. There was only just a few. And we could trace our history, our lineage, and our legacy back to a conversation very similar to me and Ashley sitting on the porch. It was a man named Peter and John sitting in prison. 
You say, well, why would they be in prison? Let me go ahead and give you a little setup for the book of Acts. So during Jesus' life and ministry, he selected 12 disciples and he called them to himself. He raised them up and trained them. And following his death, burial, resurrection, he empowers them through the spirit of God to go and start what is now known today as the local church. And following the resurrection, Jesus tells him something. He says, you, he says, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always. How long? Until the end of the age. Then Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. They gather together. They start praying, and they're praying, and they're praying. And in Acts chapter 2, something amazing happens. God answers that prayer by sending the Holy Spirit. It's what we now know today as as Pentecost. How many of you like me were raised Pentecostal? Where's all my charismatic people at? Raise those hands high. Raise them high. Raise both hands. I know you want to. Glory. Hallelujah. Should have bought a Honda, but instead of bought a Kia. Yabba dabba do, guys, right? All my, all my Pentecostal people, I know where you're at. All my Baptist people, I see you. But Pentecost happens in Acts chapter two. Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get baptized in the single day. It is a revival that is happening. I mean, they're baptizing so many people. Their arms are sore. They're gonna have to tag team. Philip, you're in here. Get in there, dunk at all these people. There's just too many people to baptize. It is an amazing thing. The church is growing. The church is exploding. They're having all these amazing testimonies. And then all of a sudden, Acts chapter four happens. Well, what, what happens in Acts chapter four? That's where opposition comes in. That's where pain and hardship comes in. That's where difficulty comes in. And here's what we see in Acts chapter four, verse 23. When they were released, released from what? Prison. They got arrested for preaching about Jesus. They arrested him and said, hey, if you keep talking about Jesus, next time we're going to do worse. They were beaten, they were flogged, they were ridiculed, and they were thrown in prison. They said, if you keep doing this, next time we're going to do worse yet to you still, so stop talking about Jesus. And here's the promise that they have. They had the promise of the nations. They had the promise of a church. They had the promise of a revival. They had the promise that they were going to change the world forever, and yet here they find themselves in a jail cell, in prison, beaten. Doesn't look like the promise is gonna happen because there's too many problems that are in their life. And so they decided we need to go and we need to gather with our church. They had a very similar conversation me and Ashley had sitting in that jail cell. Will you continue? Will you give up? Or are we gonna be bold and are we gonna push through? And luckily for all of us who believe in Jesus, I'm so glad that they decided to be bold and to push through the pain. Because here's what happens next. I'm going to read it all. And then they went to their friends and they reported to the chief priests and the elders what they had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. For truly in this city, they were gathered against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you had appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand had planned and predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the threats. So there's a problem, there's opposition, What do they pray for? Grant your servants to continue to speak the word of God with what? You got to say it better than that. Boldness. 
There we go. While you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, because there's power in the name of Jesus. There is healings in the name of Jesus. There are miracles in the name of Jesus. There are salvation in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. There is no other name other than the name of Jesus Christ. And when they all prayed, what did they do? They prayed. And the place in which they were gathered in together was shaken, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any had things that belonged to them that was his own, but giving, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Listen, redemption, this is where we find ourselves at right now. There is a great grace that is upon us. There is a move of God. There is a mighty, rushing power that we're experiencing together as a church, just like the first church. We are experiencing a great grace of God with great power. The apostles giving their testimonies. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what which was sold and they laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas which means the son of encouragement a Levite and a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet this is where the disciples are at three years with Jesus Healing, signs, wonders, miracles, testimonies. They've seen Jesus to the absolutely impossible. They saw him walk on water. They saw him calm the, the, calm the, the storm. They saw him resurrect a little girl from the dead. They've seen Jesus do amazing things. And then Jesus says that you, that you will be my witnesses. Now go to the nations. And all of a sudden, instead of the nations, where they find themselves at? They find themselves in prison. And now just imagine those conversations that Peter and, and John must have been having while they're sitting in that prison. This is too impossible. Jesus, he, he, left, us, he left us here. He, he abandoned us. He forsaken us. He told us to go to the nations and we can't even get out of Jerusalem without getting beaten or thrown into prison. Has God forsaken us? Has God forgotten us? This is too hard. This is too much. You know, Peter, I just don't think that I can do it. And then they remembered what Jesus said. Not only did he give him a great commission, but he also gave him a great promise. What was that promise? That I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And so I have to remember that they're thinking that. They're like, but he said he was still with us. How is he with us? He's not even here. Oh, he's with us through our prayers. That his presence is still with us. Even while we're in prison, we can still be praying. And so they sat in that, in that, that jail cell and they just decided, they said, we're gonna pray and then we're gonna to go to our friends. What is the one thing that Jesus taught his disciples how to do? The only thing he ever taught them how to do was to pray. He didn't teach them how to preach a sermon. He didn't teach them how to run a social media campaign. He didn't teach them how to you know, raise the dead. He didn't teach them how to walk on water. That would be a really cool class, wouldn't it? Right, water walking class, come this summer, right? That would be really cool, but he didn't teach them how to do any of that. You know what, the only thing he taught his disciples to do was he taught them how to pray. Because when you learn how to pray, that's when you learn to see miracles. When you learn how to pray, that's when you learn to see healing. When you learn how to pray, that's when you have dynamic and powerful sermons. When you learn how to pray, that's where the impossible becomes possible when God's people pray. It's the most powerful thing you could ever do is to learn how to pray. And so James and John and Peter, they just decided, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna gather together. And what was their response to the opposition that was before them for the difficulties that they faced? What was their response? Verse 31. And when they had prayed, because it happens after prayer. 
If you're looking for breakthrough, it comes after prayer. If you're looking to see your friend or your family meet Jesus, it comes after prayer. If you're looking to see healing, it comes after prayer. If you're looking to see God do anything in your life, it doesn't come through your work, it doesn't come through your effort, it doesn't come through your ideas, it only happens after you pray. It happened after they prayed, not before. It happened after. See, so many times we find ourselves just just thinking, okay, if God would do this, if God would do this, if God would just do this, and we're waiting on God instead of praying to God. You're expecting God to do something, and God wants to, God can, but he wants for you to pray to him because it happens after prayers. After they prayed, the place in which they were together, it was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with what? If you're taking notes, write this down. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers. God loves it when you pray bold prayers. Here's the reason why. Because he loves to get the glory. And when you're doing something or when you're in a situation where only God can deliver you and only God can show up, those are the types of prayers that catch God's attention because God's in heaven going, they really must believe that I have the power and the ability to do this. Look at that faith. Look at the trust that they have in me. They're in a situation and they've tried it on their own and it doesn't work. They've done everything else and it hasn't worked. And so now they're turning to me and he rolls up his sleeves and that's when God begins to get to work because bold prayers honor God. And that's when God begins to honor bold prayers. He loves it because he is the only one who can get the glory. God is writing a story and you're not the main character. He is. And when you pray bold prayers, he's the only way and the only one who can take credit. Listen, it's God's reputation on the line, not yours. And so when you pray these crazy, outlandish, audacious prayers, what you're doing is you're saying, God, this is your job, your job to answer. It's my job to pray. And so I'm bringing these things to you. And I believe through prayer, God honors those crazy, audacious, bold prayers because it's his reputation that hangs in the balance. That's right. And God will not owe anyone anything. God loves it when we pray bold prayers. So the question then becomes, how do we pray bold prayers? Why why do we pray bold prayers? And and, and what prayers are we praying for as a church? How many of you, that's kind of where you're at right now. Okay, like I know the the power of prayer. I I I just need to know what it is that you want me to do, pastor. Well, good for you because you're at the right place because that's what the rest of my sermon's about. How do y'all always do that? Like every week, I'm just like setting it up and then you have all these questions that go through your head and then it just happens to be the next thing that I'm talking about. It's amazing. You guys are so good. You guys are just, it's just it's incredible how you always do that. Well, let me give you uh, an outline. The first thing is this, is, is why do we pray for our church? Why do we pray for our church? Well, first reason we pray for our church is because Jesus tells us to pray for our church. And so we pray for a church because out of obedience, we, we pray for the church. There's a lot of things that people pray for. People pray for their family. People pray for their marriage. People pray for patience. By the way, don't pray for patience because <laughs> then God's going to give you an opportunity to answer your own prayer by stressing you out. What else do we pray for? We pray before we eat, rub-a-dub-dub, time for some grub. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, who eats the fastest, eats the most, right? We pray before we eat. We pray before we tuck our kids into bed. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord the soul will keep, right? That's a creepy prayer to teach kids because now they don't know if they're gonna die or not. They're like, what's happening here, right? Am I dying tonight? Like, what is this? Are you tucking me in or are you pouring for a ceremony, all right? 
Just saying, I always thought that was strange, but we pray for a lot of things. But what I've discovered is this, is a lot of people don't actually spend time praying for their church. They pray for themselves, then they pray for others, but we don't really pray very often for our church. So the first reason why we pray for our church is because Jesus tells us to pray for our church, but the second reason is this, write this down. Our church is only limited by the size of our prayers. If you wanna see God do something great, you gotta pray prayers that are great, that are big. If we wanna see God do what we believe that God has called us to do, then we have to pray prayers that are too big for us. Listen, if we can accomplish the mission and the vision that God has placed inside of us at this church, without God, we ain't a church, we're just a social club. Come on. If we can do this without God, our dreams are too small. If we can accomplish the things that God has in store for us without God, then we are not achieving the mission and purpose of the church in the first place. Our church is only limited by the size of the prayers that we pray. Confession, redemption. For the first three years, I was not a praying pastor. I would pray a little bit here, a little bit there. Pray, Jesus, help me. Those are the prayers that I could pray. But I wasn't a praying pastor. I wasn't a praying church. And I didn't encourage you to pray as a church. I mean, I trusted in other things for growth outside of God. I mean, I thought the way to grow the church was through a nice curated Instagram page. You know, we would spend money on logos and websites and banners and pop signs. I think in the first three years, I spent more money on pop signs than I actually spent time on my knees praying to God. And the church was stuck. We weren't growing. The first three years, we were about 80 people. And I'm like, God, why is our church not growing? Why are we not seeing lives change? God, why do people keep leaving? God, why? And then here's what God said. God said, it's because you don't pray. You just don't, you're not a praying church. And so I just, I cleared the whole schedule. I, I just started removing programs from the church and I just went to the staff and team. I said, hey, we are gonna be a praying church from this day forward. And so we instituted what is now known as First Wednesday Prayer Night. And that First Wednesday Prayer Night, there's probably about five people or 15 people rather that showed up to that First Wednesday Prayer Night. But we just kept praying. And we saw what was the beginning of what will be and continues to be a mighty prayer movement in our region. Because now, First Wednesday is almost just as crowded as the service on a Sunday morning. We have about 100-something people who are gathered together and they're praying. And listen, I can draw a straight line of growth from the moment that we began that prayer meeting. We went from about 80 people, now we're pushing 400 on a Sunday. Before that prayer meeting, we only baptized just a couple of dozen people, and since then, now there's 300 baptism locks. I mean, I could just draw you a straight line of what God has done in our church. Everything is up and to the right. The momentum is growing. Sometimes I feel like the wheels are about to fall off this thing because when we pray, we're like a kite caught in a hurricane with God's grace and his goodness just blowing and storming all around us because it happens after we pray. The growth didn't come before we prayed. The growth happened after we prayed. Why? Because our church is only limited by the size of the prayers that we pray. Why do we pray bold prayers? Because we believe that God has a big future in store for us as a church. So we pray bold prayers. The second ask is this, is how do we pray for our church? Here's what I've discovered as a pastor. There's not a single person in this room right now who is like, I'm supposed to pray? I never knew that. Really? Prayer, huh? I never knew that Christians are supposed to pray. Did not know that. 
But here's what I have discovered is that everybody knows we're supposed to pray, but most people don't really just know how to pray. That the problem is not the the want to, okay? The problem is is the how to. Because if I were to ask you, hey, uh, who wants to be a praying person and and better when it comes to their prayer life? Raise your hand. Everybody's hand should be up. If not, it's another sermon for another day. The problem is not the want to. For many people, the problem is the, the how to. People struggle when it comes, how am I supposed to pray? And so what we're going to do is I'm going to show you just a, a couple of ways on how you are to, to pray for your church. And they, they come from Acts chapter 4. Here, here's the first thing is to pray personally for your church. So look, James and Peter, they took it upon themselves personally. They weren't just asking other people to pray for them, but they were going to God on their own behalf and they personally prayed. They took ownership of their prayer. They made it a responsibility for them to pray and they prayed personally. They prayed for their church. And so here's what you're to do, to pray personally for your church as you're driving down the road, as you're listening to your worship music, take time and personally pray for your church. When you wake up in the morning, carve out five, 10 minutes in the morning while you're making your coffee, taking the dog for your walk or doing your morning routine, take time to pray. Pray personally over your church. And I believe that as you personally pray for your church, you're going to see God do amazing things, and he's going to take your prayer life to the next level. Over the next 21 days, we're going to be fasting together as a church. And on that fasting form that you've all been given or posted in the Connect page or through your small group, there's going to be a guided prayer for 21 days, because you may not know what to pray, but we've made a list of things that every single day you could take five minutes and personally pray over your church. And here's what I always say. If you miss a day of prayer, don't miss two. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. Don't give up. If you miss a day, don't miss two. And if you can't pray for five minutes, pray for four. But you need to pray and pray for us and pray for your church. Number two is to pray corporately for your church. What is corporate prayer? Corporate prayer is where we're doing right now. It's the gathering together of the church. And our first Wednesdays, we always say like this, if you can only make one service, make it the first Wednesday service. Because that's when we gather together corporately and we begin to pray. It's your prayers and your prayers and my prayers. And it's all of us as a church concentrating our prayers. And what God does is he moves in ways in corporate gatherings that you would not get at home. You would not get watching online. You will not experience in your car or your shower. He moves in a way that he doesn't move any other time. Because God loves it when his kids get together and they all cry out to him. I mean, how many of you are parents, right? Parents with more than, more than one child. What happens when you have one kid cry and you're like, ah, I'll just worry about that later. <laughs> don't, don't look at me like that. You know you probably ignore that one kid. <laughs> but when you have two kids, three kids, and they all start crying out in the living room, you drop whatever you're doing, you're running there because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there might be a kid who like lost a hand or something, and so you rush into that room. Why? Because all of your kids are crying out at the same time. God is a father, and we are his children, and when we all gather together as a church, and we cry out to God, and we, we, we seek God's face, our father loves to show up and make himself known, and he does it in powerful ways when his kids cry out to him. The third thing is that pray daily for your church. Every single day, take time, make time to pray for your church. I love what John Piper, he says this. He says, in the last days, our reason for prayerlessness will not be due to a lack of time. 
because we spend time on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We spend time doing everything other than prayer. It will not be because of a lack of time, but it will be because of a lack of initiative. We have to daily make time to, to pray. And so here's how we're doing it during these 21 days of fasting. We set an alarm on our phone at 7.14 in the morning and 7.14 in the evening. Me and Ashley, we stop what we're doing and we just have concentrated prayer time for the church. You might say, why 7.14? Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people would humble themselves and if they would pray, if they would repent, then I would bring healing to that land. And so at 7.14, every single day, we have an alarm set on our phone because daily we want to spend time in prayer for what God is doing in our church. Number four, we can pray prophetic prayers. What they're praying right here is actually from Psalm chapter two. It's King David who is prophesying into the future about the Lord Jesus and the ministry that is to follow him. Why do the nations rage? Why do the Gentiles plot in vain? He's looking forward into the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and the future coming, what is known as the kingdom of God through the local church. He's writing a prophetic prayer thousands years into the future. And now Peter and John, they are living in the middle of a prophecy that God had already set in place to prepare their hearts for. Did you know that your prayers are prophetic? The prayers that you're praying right now, God will begin to answer those prayers. It may not happen now, but he is boggling them up. He is storing them up. So in that right moment, God's going to dump out those prayers and you're going to see answers to prayers you never believed to be possible. Let me give you an example. Me and Ashley, we were praying. As I told you in the beginning, for, we were infertile. And we had to make a decision. Do we plant church or do we do, we, do, we do, do, we do in vitro fertilization? And we decided that we were going to plant the church and we went to a CMN conference where we get resources and encouragement. And during that, after this conversation on the stoop, where Ashley decided she was going to go all in and she was going to make the bold move and she was going to commit, we went to CMN conference as a ministers, a women's ministers network. And she went back to that meeting. And she said, I, I want to plant the church, but what I really want is I want a baby. I want to, I want to have a family. And I'm struggling right now because, because God's asking me to plant a church, but my, my desire is that we would have a family. And there's a woman, her name's Mary Beth Bradshaw. And in that prayer meeting, she laid hands on Ashley and she says, when you give birth to a church, you will also conceive a child. Wow. And our daughter Esther was conceived the day, the week before our church had its grand opening. Woo. Come on. <laughs> that's what God, that's what God does. Right, we're praying prophetic prayers for our church. I mean, there's more stories about, about how God does this. I mean, when I just think about my, my grandmother praying for my mom for 50 years that she would become a Christian and then she gets baptized in our church last year. God answered that prayer. She had been praying and praying and God stored those prayers up and the tears of my grandmother for 50 years because she knew that whenever we planted this church that God would move in amazing ways in my mom's life. Amen. Prophetic prayers. Another example of a prophetic prayer is my pastor Donnie. He's the presbyter over all the South Texas Assemblies of God churches in, in this region. And for those of you who don't know Pastor Donnie, he's an amazing man of God. He's my pastor. He's my mentor. And last year as we kicked off our building campaign for the first time, he actually came and preached and he was sitting in the office back there and I asked him, I said, I said, Pastor Donnie, why did you move to Beaumont, Texas? Because he's from Alabama. And he said, well, you know, Byron, about 30 years ago, I had a dream. And in that dream, I saw a volcano in Beaumont, Texas. 
And out of that volcano, it erupted and came other satellites, basically, was explained, like other little volcanoes that started popping up out of it. And they would land in different places. And I woke up and God spoke to my heart and said, move to Beaumont, Texas to plant a church. And so about 30 years ago, he moved his entire family on a dream to Beaumont, Texas to plant a church. And for those of you who don't really know, he pastors Gospel Center Church here in Beaumont. It's where me and Ashley went uh, before we uh, planted Redemption Church, made some great friends there. And after our time came, the church is actually kind of small. It seems as if God didn't answer that prayer. It seems as if some people would look at it and say, that prophecy did not come to fruition. And so as I'm sitting outside and we're talking to Pastor Don and he's telling me this, I've never even heard this before. And he said, I just moved here because I believe that there would be a volcano that would erupt. And then I took him outside of our new building and I showed him this picture. It's volcanoes. And here's what he told me. He said, Byron, I moved here so that way I could be a part of what God's doing at your church. And before we planted this church, Pastor Donnie was my pastor. We are living in answer to a prayer of a man of faith from 30 years ago. This is what your prayers do for the church. So it may not be an answer to his prayers in the way that he thought it would be, but God still delivered an answer to that prayer. And lastly, number five, is that we pray passionately for our church. When they go back in, do you feel like they're passionate about it? They're like, hey, we gotta get everybody together, gather everybody together. We need to pray, guys, we need to pray. You know what they didn't do? They didn't get on Facebook and post thoughts and prayers. Could somebody send me some good vibes? They didn't go walking back into that prayer meeting and say, um, I have an unspoken prayer request. They, they were like, oh, maybe, possibly, I don't know if you think about it or have some time. Maybe one of y'all might consider like thinking for me or something. Like they didn't do that. No, they went back to their church and said, guys, we got to pray. Yeah. They're beating us. They're throwing us into prison. God said we could have the nations and start a movement that would change the world. And here we are. We're at a crossroads. We're at this moment in our life where if God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. Guys, we got to get in here and we got to pray. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they kept praying and they kept praying and they prayed with passion. They prayed fervent prayers. They prayed prayers that shook the heavens. And when we praise the prayers that shake the heaven, then the spirit of God falls and it shakes the place that we're in. That's the type of prayers that we are to pray as a church, to pray passionately together as a church. And we're going to discuss the results of this because right now some of y'all are probably thinking, okay, pastor, I get it. We're going to pray for this new building. We're going to pray for the future. We're going to pray for souls. We're going to pray for life change. We're going to pray that we raise the money. I get it. I understand. We're supposed to pray, but can we do more than pray? Couldn't we just like do more? Like prayer's great, but like let's put some action behind it. Is there something that I can, I can actually do? Yes, there are things that we can do. We're gonna talk about those in the next few weeks. You're like, could we just like have a bake sale? If we're gonna like raise the money for this building, couldn't we like do some car washes? Just put some of the, put some of the interns out there and just have them washing some cars, right? I mean, how many, how many, how many uh, Zumo sausages can we sell to buy a building? <laughs> That's a lot of Zumo sausages, right? I mean, how many hoodies do we have to sell? I mean, these are $50 a pop. Maybe we need to get a, send, sell about 10,000 of them, and then we might be able to buy one, you know, <laughs> renovate one kid's room. But, like, you're wondering, like, shouldn't we be able to do more? Yes, you could do more. But I love what 
John Bunyan says, he says, you can do more than pray only after you pray. Yes, we can do more. We can give, we can serve, we can invite, we can invest. But we can't do those things in our own effort, in our own power, in our own strength. We need the reliance and the strength of God's spirit if we're going to be able to accomplish what God has for us. Yes, we can do more than pray. We can do more than pray. We can give, we can serve, we can love, we can invest, we can invite, we can continue to do more, but we cannot do more without prayer. You can do more than pray after you pray. So here's what we do. We pray for our church. I'm gonna give you opportunities at the end to do more than pray, but right now, what I'm trying to do is inspire you to actually pray. Number one, why do we pray for our church? Because our church is limited only by the size of our prayers. Number two, how do we pray for our church? We pray passionately and prophetically. We pray personally, corporately, daily, and that leads us to point number three. The last point that I wanna say is, is what do we pray for our church? What types of prayers are we going to be praying for our church? I'm gonna show you some more pictures. And over the next 21 days, I want you to specifically be praying for these prayer needs that I'm presenting before you. Listen, if you're new and you're wondering what's happening, why is he talking about this? I feel a little bit left out. I'm so glad you're our guest. And if you're new to the church, here's what happened. Um, back in October, we bought 21,000 square foot building here in the heart of downtown Beaumont. In fact, we actually just bought this entire city block. It's amazing. And we had the opportunity to make that purchase in August. And when we first set up the, the purchase of the building, they said it was going to be zero down. And I'm like, we can afford that. And so we moved forward and about September, they came back and they said, hey, actually, um, we're starting to see that there's gonna be a rising cost that's gonna come along and inflation's starting to go up. And so we're gonna ask that you actually give us um, about 100,000 down. And I said, okay, great. I mean, you might as well ask for a million because I don't have 100,000. 100,000 might as well be 10 million for me. And so here's what we did as a church at that time. We, we gathered the church together and said, hey, we're gonna, have a, we're gonna fast for three days. Is that a first Wednesday prayer night? I said, here's the opportunity that's before us. We're gonna fast for the next three days. And we fasted for three days and we prayed and we prayed as a church. And then we had a, a guest missionary that I met and I talked to him and I said, hey, um, we're, we're doing this building campaign. He's like, man, that's amazing. He's like, yeah, we need to come over $100,000. He's like, man, I'll be praying for you. Because <laughs> you know, missionaries have less money than church planners. <laughs> and so I said, okay, yeah, pray for me. And then God spoke in my heart. And he said, I want you to give their ministry $5,000. I'm like, God, you're going backwards here. I'm asking for 100, and now you're telling me to give away five. And so in obedience, I cut him a check. That Sunday, we had another church planter from Nashville. My friend Curtis Parks came in. He led worship for us. God spoke in my heart sitting right there. He said, I want you to give him $5,000. God, I'm 10,000 in the hole now. 10,000 in the hole. So I cut him a check for $5,000. And we just keep praying. Three days are up. We need $110,000 now. <laughs> and if that did not kick off a wave of God's miraculous yes. grace in our church, because within the next 30 days from outside sources and from the generosity of the people in our church, we raised nearly $128,000 in three, 30 days. And with that money, with that prayer, 
we were able to make the down payment and purchase this entire city block. And so the goal of this series is to raise the rest of the money to inspire and to encourage you to make a two-year commitment to begin to give and to be able to support and to be able to be a part of what God is doing here in the church. And here's the reason why it's important. If you're taking notes, write this down. Show me your prayers and I will show you your future. What you pray for is what God will do in your life. Show me your prayers. Tell me what it is that you're praying for. What are you believing God for? What are you hoping for? What are you trusting God for? What is it that one thing that you're relying on God to do that if he doesn't come through, it's just not gonna happen? And I can guarantee you that as you pray for those things, that will be what God does in your life. Show me your prayers and I will show you your future. So redemption, here's the future of our church and this is what we're gonna be praying for. This is where our church started, a little conversation. On a, on, on a blue duplex in Old Town, Beaumont. Can you throw the photo back up there? This is where our church started. And me and Ashley, we sat there and we prayed and we believed because we knew that there was gonna be a future church that God was going to birth out of these prayers. And so we prayed and we believed and we sacrificed and we gave of our time and our money and our prayers and our blood and our sweat and our tears. And here's how God has answered that prayer. Our church has gone from this and here is the future of Redemption Church. Yeah. That's the future of the church. This is the renovation project that we're gonna be going into. And our prayer is that by Christmas of 2023, Redemption, we will have our grand opening by Christmas of 2023 and our brand new building. Doesn't it just say welcome home? Doesn't it just say there is a church here that loves you, that is welcoming you, and we can't wait for you to experience life change through Jesus with us. Now listen, it's not about the building. People say, oh, it's about the building, it's about the building. Listen, it's not just about the building, it's about building the kingdom of God. Yes. People are our greatest treasure and resource, but a building is our greatest tool. Say, well, isn't it about the building? Listen, when people need hope, need healing, when people want to meet Jesus or hear the gospel or to know if there is a chance for them to be saved, they're not gonna wander around Hobby Lobby for six hours waiting for somebody to share the gospel with them. You know what they're gonna do? They're gonna go to church. They're gonna be looking for a building. And when they come into that building, it's gonna be a place where they can sit here, listen to the message of Jesus, have an opportunity to respond and gather and meet people who are like them and will do life with them. It's not about the building. Building. The building is just a tool, but people are our treasure. Yeah, that's right. And so, yes, we need a bigger building because, look, we cannot fit another person. Both 9 and 11 are totally packed. Yeah. We need a bigger building. And so we're praying and we're believing that God's going to do a great work on this new building. Here's the other side of the facade. I cannot wait to take my kids to church there. Amen? Yeah. I just see them rushing through the parking lot, running in. I'm just envisioning them almost getting hit by traffic because the cars are going by so fast, there's too many, and I would just chase them, no, no, run into the street, right? Every parent's like, yeah, that's my, that's my thing. Well, we're also petitioning the city to get red lights put up in front of the church yeah. so that way we can make a safe place for our church. I just can't wait to, to bring my kids to church. Let me show you a few more pictures. This is the, the future we're praying for. This is the future of Redemption Kids. Parents, as you come in and you turn the corner, 
You'll be able to check your kids in with ease and fast. It's gonna be safe and secure. And this entire section that we're currently in is all gonna be renovated into our next-gen ministries. And so the entire lobby is gonna be transformed into multiple age and stage classrooms for children. I'm even praying and I'm believing by God we're gonna be able to find the opportunity and space to create not just a nursing mother's room, but also have a sensory room for children who, are, um, who have other special needs so we can create space for that too. It's a, growing, it's a growing area of ministry that I believe that my heart is to move towards that. So be praying for your church for those things. And then all of our kids are gonna gather in this room. Show them the next picture. This will be where our kids will be gathering on a Sunday morning. It'll seat about 150 kids on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Could you imagine 150 kids running around singing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Oh man, it's gonna be, it's gonna be so adorable. So y'all be praying, not just for the kids, but also be praying for JC and our kids workers because they're gonna need all of those prayers. I just love our church because we put such a special emphasis and focus on children's ministry. My daughters are so grateful for our team who serves in kids. I mean, it's like every single day my daughter wakes me up and she's like, Daddy, can we go to church today? And I'm like, no, baby, church is on Sunday. Then she has a total meltdown because she wants to come see her friends. We're getting ready to plan out vacation trips and every day she's like, can so-and-so come with me? Can so-and-so come with me? Can we bring this? And it's all friends that she has here that she's met at the church. Your children are gonna meet the best friends of their life in this room right here. It's gonna make a big difference in the future of our church through the children's ministry that God's gonna bring here in the church. And also, not only is it gonna be a children's ministry, but also this is gonna turn into Redemption Youth. Yeah. Redemption will be launching, we're gonna have a youth ministry. So all of this is gonna be built out and designed for our students, for the youth ministry here at Redemption Church. And I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, Byron, I've been going here for years and you've never had a youth group. I understand. Well, that all changes today. Because Redemption, I'm excited to announce to you, we just hired our first youth pastors. Zachary and Michaela. Right now, they're, they're watching online. Hey, let's give a big redemption welcome. Hey. Yes. And you don't have to wait till the new building to open up for the youth ministry because uh, Zachary and Michaela, they're moving here in May and they're gonna get started work in June and we'll have a youth group up and off the ground by August. Come on, somebody. And this is so important. Listen, this is why it's so important. Because as our church grows, it is unheard of for a church to be running 400 people without a youth ministry. The majority of our church is young adults or, and young couples, and they have a lot of children, a lot of babies. We have a lot of you know, preschool and toddlers and elementary. Like last week, we had almost 100 kids running around the back. Okay, and, and so as our church grows, they're gonna need a place for them to grow into. We got dozens of kids who are moving from fifth grade to sixth grade. We have no ministry opportunities. In fact, over the last couple of months, we've lost families in our church because their kids don't have a place. They need to have a place for their kids. You know, that ministry time between, between um, fifth grade and 16 years old, 80% of Christians in America today made a decision of faith between the ages of fifth grade and 16 years old. It is the most prime and ripe harvest and mission field that there is in our nation and Redemption Church. We believe that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, but God willing, God bless it, we're going and we're gonna be able to see a harvest in the next gen ministry here at Redemption. It's a perfect time for this to happen for us as a church. And so we're praying for Zach, Michaela. We're praying for you as well. And then here's another photo that I want to show you guys. 
This is going to be the lobby. When you walk in, this is going to be the lobby. Could you just imagine the stories and testimonies that are going to be happening in this lobby? In the pre-service, we had 100 volunteers who make redemption possible this morning. Our lobby is already packed. But can you imagine having 200, 300 volunteers on a Sunday who are just doing the life change through Jesus chant Sunday mornings, getting ready to serve and welcome people to come into their church. Just, just think about it. I mean, I have stories after stories of people who, one guy, I've told you this story before. He said, I was going to commit suicide, but I was raised in a church. And I said, I'm going to give God one more shot. And he walked through these doors and someone looked him dead in the eye, shook his head and said, I'm glad to have you here. He broke down crying, came to the altars, gave his life to Jesus, and he's been serving our church for two years. I'm telling you, story after story of people who have walked through these doors. I mean, I was talking to a guy in the lobby. I asked him, how did you hear about church? And he just pointed up. He just pointed right up. He said, God led me to this church. God's leading people to our church. God's bringing people into our church, and we're going to need a bigger building to house all of God's kids. Amen? And so here's what comes next. That will be our sanctuary. It seats 500 people. I want you to be praying that every single chair in that place will be filled. And listen to this. We're getting new chairs. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me show you how God answers prayers. Here's how God answers prayers. Last week, if you were here last week in my, at the close of Colossians sermon, I was talking about complaining about your church, right? That's like, well, if you will complain about it, do something about it. You're like, complaining about the chairs? Write me a check for $10,000 and I'll buy some new chairs. Remember that? Well, I didn't know, but there was a pastor visiting from Arkansas. And he went back to the back and he met with all of our staff and he cut us a check for $10,000 to buy new chairs. Come on. Come on. This is the crazy stuff that God is doing, and I believe that God has more stories. I mean, just think about it. I just can't wait to see our worship team leading us into the throne room of God. I can't wait to see the Spirit of God inhabit that place. I can't wait to see it packed. I can't wait to see First Wednesday filled with people praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't wait to see those altars just be filled with people laying face down, having a glory move of God on their lives. I can't wait to hear stories about more healings, more healings of the person with throat cancer who was healed, more stories about men with broken backs who are going back to work, more stories about mobility in their arms. I mean, we have seen testimony after testimony. I just think about y'all's story. Whenever we were meeting in the gig, and we're meeting the gig and God gave you a dream, and he said, bring, come forward to the front because you are having infertility. And God gave you a dream and you woke up and he said, have them anoint you with oil, the elders of the church, and pray that you might be healed. And we didn't have an altar then, so she went and sat in the Tequila Rock bar. (laughs) And my grandparents went back and we laid hands on you. And now you have two kids running in the back right now. (laughs) But that's what our God does. And that altar will be filled with more stories like this. I mean, there's a guy, he's been coming to our church for about six weeks now. He got tired of sleeping on the couch. And so he finally decided to come to church with his wife, alcoholic for 20 years. Came forward, received prayer, gave his life to Jesus. Haven't touched a drop in six weeks. He was helping you park your car today. 
I mean, I just think about stories like, like your story, Kayla, who's now on staff here at the church, first time to ever go, come to the church. She said, I don't know who Jesus is, cried in the parking lot. First words out of my mouth on that Easter Sunday, who is Jesus? Some of you have been asking that. Prophetically spoke directly in her life. That whole Sunday was just for her. And now her husband, Trevor, is now a part of a leadership team at our church. He's given his life to Jesus. 20 more people have given their lives to Jesus because of that relationship, all because someone listened in a service and heard the message of Jesus be preached. Now an entire family, a jujitsu gym, and dozens more have been completely changed because one person responded to the call of Jesus Christ. That's what these chairs represent. And so when you're praying for your church, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, it's just about the building. No, it's about building the kingdom of God. Giving people opportunities to experience life change that only comes through Jesus Christ. So I got another picture that I want to show you because here's, here's the thing. Don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. Okay. Here's the thing you need to understand. Here's the thing you need to understand is this is that when churches move from a temporary location, which is what we're currently in, renting, to a permanent location, statistically, that church will double in size in the first year of their church. So if we're running about 400 now, by the time we open, continuing with the growth that we're experiencing, we'll be running about 1,000 people in the next two years. That's, that's the vision, that's the direction that we're heading. And so you already see that this building is too small to contain what God's already doing. Yeah. You say, well, it only seats 500 and we're gonna be running 1,000, so what are we gonna do next? Here's what we're gonna do next. Here's my dream is after we renovate and move into this, I'm gonna buy this piece of land right here. Show it. Is it in there? It is not in there, it's on my phone. Apparently I didn't show it. So when you walk in, you see that big black, building in the parking lot? We're gonna buy that building, renovate it, turn it into a headquarters, because after we finish this, we're switching gears and we're gonna plant two new churches. So in the next five years, here's where we're going, Redemption. Here's why you need to pray some bold prayers, right? Because in the next five years, we're gonna have a new building, double in size, and we're gonna plant two new campuses as a church. And that all comes from this conversation sitting me and Ashley on a porch. So Ashley, baby, if you would come up here. Here's what I want you to do as we call the band forward. Is I I want to, I want for you to pray specific prayers. Why? Because specific prayers get specific answers. Vague prayers get vague answers. But when you pray specifically, God answers those prayers because vague prayers get vague answers. Some of y'all, God be answering prayers in your life. You don't even know because you don't even keep track of them. You might be walking in a miracle season in your life and you don't even pay attention because you're not paying attention to the prayers that you're praying. Write your prayers down. Pray specific prayers because specific prayers get specific answers. So I'm going to submit to you five prayers for you to pray for us. Number one, pray for your pastors and leaders. Redemption. Your leaders and pastors, we need a lot of prayer because we've never been in a season too big for us. We need the wisdom to be able to lead. I mean, I spent all last week talking with lawyers and architects and engineers and it's just over my head. I mean, I, I, I have to take off my shoes to count to 20. Like that's, that's where I'm at. They didn't teach me church law and tax in Bible school. And so this is all above us. 
I mean, I remember Trevor, who is now our ministry director. I mean, whenever I hired him three years ago, he didn't even know how to mail a letter. He sent 300 giving statements back to our house. We need a lot of prayer. Is he in the room right now? Hey, let's all give it up for Trevor. Let's pray for our leaders, for Zach and Michaela as they come in. We'll be the, we'll be the first church, their first ministry job. Actually for everyone except for Pastor Cody, who's been in ministry about 15 years, every one of our leaders, they're homegrown inside of our church. And so we need a lot of prayers, but listen, God knew exactly what we would need and where we would be, and he's brought us the best team to accomplish all of this. So please be praying for your leaders. Number two, pray that your church would be filled with the Holy Spirit. What was the answer to the prayer for boldness? How did God answer the prayer in Acts 4? He answered by sending the Spirit of God to empower them. Redemption, we need the presence of God to empower us as a church. So pray, pray that the spirit would fill this church. Number three, pray for generosity to overflow. So what does that mean by generosity to overflow? Because as we've been talking to the contractors and engineers, when we first bought the building, it was back in August, we entered conversations about it. And they told us that we'd probably be able to get in by Easter of 2023 and it would cost about $1.5 million. At that time, the per square foot was about $80 per square foot. But due to inflation, due to the rising of costs, due to the hangover after COVID and all the political unrest that's happening, we met with our contractor and he gave us a rough guesstimate that we'd be looking at about two years and $2.5 million for the project. It's just too much. It's just, it's out of what we budgeted, it's out of what we planned, it's out of what I originally told y'all eight months ago, but we all know that things change. We all know that we're in the middle of an economic uncertainty. Inflation is outrageous. People paying $4 for, for, for gasoline. Homes are taking even longer. They told me about, they told me it'd be about um, 14, 15 weeks just to be able to get doors in just because of the state that we're in. But listen, God's not caught by surprise by any of this. God knew exactly where we'd be and what we needed to do in order to accomplish this. I was talking with a missionary when I was in Dallas this week. I was speaking with a missionary and I told him, we're gonna need to raise an additional million dollars. Please pray for me, I'm freaking out. And he looked at me and said, oh no, 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 no. You're looking at it all wrong. There's gonna be a million dollars worth of miracles that God wants to do in your church. Because for every person who takes part of this campaign, they're gonna experience the move of God in their life through their generosity they never imagined possible. And God knew that your church doubled in size in the last year, and so he doubled the price in the last year because there's more testimonies God wants you to accomplish. And I said, you're preaching next week, come on. Number four, pray for the next generation. As we get ready to launch a youth ministry here at Redemption, we need you to pray for, the, pray for the students, pray for the kids, pray for the next generation of our church. When you see kids run in the lobby, make time to get down on their knees, look them in the eyes, and value and honor the children that are in this church. Because one day we're gonna hand this church off to them. 
And this is why I say it will impact the next 20 years because in 20 years from now, your children will be sitting in a sermon just like this, listening to a pastor preach about how God is gonna do a mighty move and it's their parents that set them up for success and now they get to have the torch handed off to them and they're gonna be the ones who take it on for the next generation. Your prayers right now will be answered in 20 years through your kids. Pray for the next generation. Number five, pray for stories of life change. Someone asked me, they said, what are we gonna do with the, when we move and we have all that baptism wall? We're gonna have to tear it down. I said, no, 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 no. We're just gonna get a bigger wall. Because <laughs> there's gonna be more stories of life change that happen in our church. Listen, I know what some of you are thinking right now, because I, I said the million dollar word, $2.5 million. Some of you are thinking, but that cost is too great. And I get it, I understand. That cost is really great. But just like me and Ashley had that conversation on that porch, the cost if we do this will be great, but the cost if we don't will be even greater. If we don't do this, think about the souls, think about the testimonies, think about the marriages, think about the addictions, think about the, the divorces, think about all the things that we wanna pray, we wanna believe, we wanna see. If we do this, it's gonna be an expensive cost but nothing costs more than souls. Do you know how valuable a soul is? It's so valuable that God sent his only son, Jesus, to shed the precious blood as a sacrifice in their place. How valuable are people to God? So valuable that they don't even have a price. So they might be asking for 2.5 million, but it ain't no different to our God because he already paid the greatest price through his son Jesus on that cross for us. And so what we're gonna do is this, we're gonna ask you to join us. Me and Ashley, we've prayerfully considered and we've made a commitment over the next two years that we are gonna give 20% of our income to the church. We typically, we tithe, that's our tithe. We tithe to the church. But we're gonna give an additional 10% on top of our tithe towards the special building campaign. And I'm gonna challenge you to go home and have a bold conversation with your spouse or with a, a coworker, a roommate, or, or, or your small group and ask yourself, God, what would you have me to do over these next two years? What commitment would you have for me to make? We've committed 20% of our income over the next two years to the church. I just think it's important for you to know that we would not ask you to do something that we are unwilling to do for ourselves. So we've made this bold commitment to us. Now, if you're not tithing yet, I would say, hey, tithe first. So tithe belongs to God. This campaign is for people who want to, it's not for people who, who, who have to. If you don't wanna give to it, you don't have to give to it. But I would never say that about tithing, right? If you don't tithe, you're robbing God. That's basically it, that's just what the Bible says. And so if you're not tithing, start with tithing. But if you are tithing and you wanna give above and beyond, you wanna be bold when it comes to your generosity, under your chair, there's, there's an envelope. If you take that envelope out, go ahead and pull that envelope out. We wrote a letter to you this week and we want you to go home and have the same conversation that we had. Can we do this? But really ask this question, what happens if we don't do this? And ask God to fill you with the boldness and ask this dangerous prayer, God, what would you have me to give? What is my part to play? What is my sacrifice? Because God, if you could do this with two people sitting on a porch, what could God do with 400 people believing in prayer and stepping out in boldness of faith? 
And so I want you to go home and have a conversation. God, what part do you want me to play? God, how do you want me to give? God, how will you empower me to be bold in my generosity this year? If you would stand with us. Me and Ashley, we're gonna pray over you as we dismiss. But I want you to remember this line. The future belongs to the bold, but at the same time, the future depends on the bold. Without your boldness, this is impossible. But together, we're gonna see God do the impossible here at Redemption Church. And so everybody, if you would hold your, hold your connect card up, hold your, hold your bold pledge card up. Let me see it right here. I want you to hold your pledge card up. We're gonna pray over you right now. And I just find it fitting for Ashley to pray over us. Do you have your microphone? Ashley, you prayed for us on that porch. Would you pray for us today? What's I have that? something that I want to share. You have something you want to share? All right. You want to share first? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's funny how, I guess, I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me, but like, I didn't know that you were going to be talking about this. And I have a journal that I, I keep, and it was from our like, 2015, 2016 yeah. days. Lord highlighted a page in that for me, and I wrote down something that I think I need to tell all of y'all what it says. It says, breathe in his direction, breathe out obedience. I thought that was very fitting because I remember sitting on that porch, just breathing in a direction. In order for me to continue what we're, we're doing, I had to breathe out the obedience, which That's is right. my witness. Yes. And for me to be right here in front of all y'all, can we get a passion? So let's hold, let's hold our, our pledges up. Go home and have the bold conversation this week. God, what would you have for me to give? Heavenly Father, we pray over each and every one of these cards today, God, that they don't just represent commitments, but God, they represent legacies. Pray for every single person in this room, God. For those who have already committed, Lord, let's give them the empowerment to believe bigger and to pray bigger and to dream bigger, God. For those who are making the commitment today, let there not be fear or trepidation, but let there be boldness. Let them be believing God for greater things in their life, God. God, it may be scary. It may be fearful. It may seem impossible, but that's where you do your greatest work, Lord Jesus. And so we pray for miracles to happen. We pray for generosity to overflow. We pray for testimonies, and we pray that there would be a move of God, a gospel-centered movement in the heart of this city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. We love you, Redemption. See you next week.